Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Eccentric, the makers of the K-Box and the new K-Pulley. Guys, flywheel training's really grown in popularity of late, and although it's something that's been around for a while, the simple reason that it's grown in popularity is because it works. We've been lucky to have a K-Box in our weight room for the past three years, and we've seen some really great things when it comes to improving the athlete's ability to change direction, and then looking at our return to play protocols with different lower body injuries with the student athletes. The love-hate relationship that everyone has with the K-Box is now just going to grow more with the addition of the K-Pulley. The ability to do standing presses, pulls, rip-throughs, and knee drive exercises is just going to be another arsenal to our training and another addition to the love-hate relationship that our student-athletes have with the awesome tools that come from Eccentric. Go ahead and hop over to Eccentric.com today to check out what they have. Guys, I can't recommend it enough, and I guarantee you won't be disappointed not just with the products, but with the awesome customer service that Eccentric provides. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the podcast and the content that it provides, make sure you hop over and check out the all-new Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is a combination of the CVA SPS community and the Rugby Strength Coach community, bringing you what is sure to be the Internet's leading resource for continuing education for strength and conditioning professionals. Combining these two resources has allowed us to bring some of the best content from some of the best minds in the world together for your one-stop shop to better improve the continuing education for not just yourself, but your entire staff. Bringing together all of the lectures from the Rugby Strength Coach community, along with the lectures exclusively done for the Central Virginia Sport Performance community, and all the lectures performed at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar, make this an absolute must for performance coaches around the world. The world-class lectures at the Strength Coach Network are not all that you'll see as well. The discussion in the forums and the support and the career guidance from some of the top practitioners in the world, from people all over the world, makes this an absolute must and a great place for you to network, learn, and grow as a performance professional. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS, that's C-V-A-S-P-S, to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. We're sure you're going to find great value in the Strength Coach Network and are really excited to have you involved. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS to check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with power athletes Chris Tex McQuilkin about posture and positioning when it comes to training and performance. Guys, we're going we're gonna to get a quick intro, and, and then we're going to get right into what motivates Chris as a coach and what really got him into the field of strength and conditioning. And this is going to lead us right into discussing the impact of CrossFit football, not just on him as a coach, but how he is helping pass on information to other coaches. Uh, you know, then he gets into the discussion with, you know, with them being associated with CrossFit football, you know, these these kind of disconnections that there are between CrossFit and the more uh, sports-specific, if we may, training ideas. And then, guys, this leads us right into an awesome discussion about training the hip multiplanarly and looking at it through an X, Y, and Z axis. Um, we finish out, guys, talking about you know the what they're doing when it comes to education uh, and also when it comes to charity work because they're doing some fantastic stuff down there in Austin. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Tex, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I'm excited, man. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, brother. So, hey, listen, let's let's give the, the person and a half, maybe at most, that 
doesn't know who you are and where you're at, how you got down into Austin and what you guys got going on down there. Let's lead off with Power Athlete. So we are a worldwide strength and conditioning organization, and we focus on empowering performance through unlocking athletic potential. And then that's a key word, that potential, because we witness a lot of athletes, especially us as coaches, that sometimes that kid where you just see them waiting as a freshman to unfold and, and be the athlete that we know they can be, sometimes they make it and sometimes they don't. Then there's the athletes that you would not expect much coming into your organizations or your your schools, and they just immediately something clicks and they become that model athlete that we reference and refer back to in sport as that hard worker or the guy that did everything right, and then it, it worked our example. So we focus on developing athletes. And as an organization, as a business, we have different pillars. We focus on empowering performance through nutrition. Sometimes that's the missing component is just educating coaches to then empower their athletes on the nutrition aspect and simplifying it so they can then simplify it for their athletes. Then we have our, our training. We have online training that we offer and we reverse engineer from goals. So post-collegiate athletes or coaches themselves that don't want to write their own programs then we offer just different goals, whether it's hypertrophy, whether it's field strong, kind of sports performance aspect, really reverse engineering from whatever you want as a goal. And then we have our education piece. So this is where I come into the organization of Power Athlete. I'm the director of training and, and education. And so it's my goal to simplify the the Zatsiorskis, the super training, the, the Berkashanskis into digestible information, synthesize it for coaches so they can apply it, right? So it's one thing to read a bunch of studies, but it's another to take that info and digest it and then communicate it and then build it into your program or defend your program to the sport coach. So spend a lot of time just working on appeals and finding ways to really empower coaches to help communicate to their sport coaches. So like we, we talked about for a moment before, like, hey, let's, let's get some recovery. Let's um, let's dive into the nutrition aspect of the thing. Let the kids eat. So that's uh, that's where I come into this this world of power athlete. And my athletic career was a Division three lacrosse player who had no strength and conditioning coach. Our weight room was just a, a fitness center. I'm sure the hotels that you travel to with the team, you got a better facility than we did. Uh, Marymount University, long time. Um, long time since I graduated and they got a strength program now, but back then they did not. And so I connected with the CEO of power athlete, John Wellborn, just in search of sports performance and training for my own athletic career. And then I was fortunate to get the opportunity to be a grad assistant coach. And I was a hell of a lot better strength coach than I was a sport coach for lacrosse. So I just took on the strength responsibilities for, for the team as I guess the lowest coach on the, the coaching staff, I had to do double time as a strength coach and sport coach. And again, like I said, we did not have a facility, but we needed upper body strength. And what I asked my athletes to do that were my former teammates, they were still my friends, but now my athletes for upper body strength, I asked them to kick up into a handstand and hold. So i got the 40 guys up into handstands and one of them immediately goes down, kicks up and goes down and I run up and I start 
just yelling at him, like, you know, saying, you got to get up, be tough. But it turned out that he tore his rotator cuff. And so that was a moment as a coach that I realized, I don't know what the hell I'm doing in this strength game, right? I maybe, I maybe have a good bench press. I may be somewhat fast, but I don't know how to make people strong or fast or prepared for their sport. So I really started to dive into just a performance in particular transfer to the field, transfer to the court. And that's where I met John and just um, really started to, you know, crack the bone and suck the marrow out of really everything that he had to, to teach as a ex NFL uh, pro. And he was athletic, but not the most athletic. So he had to always stay on top of his game for 10 years. So he worked with the best coaches in, in the United States and just kind of taking the lessons that he learned to transfer to his performance and then helping understand those key pieces and now it's how can I deliver the lessons that John delivered to me and then put them out to coaches, whether you're high school, whether you're working with collegiate athletes or whether you own your own kind of micro gym, private facility. If a kid comes to you, I, I don't want you as a coach to have the same loss. Like I, that kid was a senior. I took away his last opportunity to play his sport because I didn't know what I was doing. And I never want an athlete to work with a coach that puts them in a position and harms them and takes away the greatest opportunity because make college sports most fun. I wouldn't trade that for anything. And I, I really want kids to enjoy it, especially winning and success on the field that uh, I, I lost that kid his year, man. I always feel bad about it. Like alumni weekend going back, but um, you know, just trying to empower coaches. so They don't make that mistake and they can really kind of give that gift, especially those those underdogs, those genetic trash cans that have to train just for the opportunity to make the squad and then hopefully one day in their four years step onto the field when the clock is ticking because that's that's the most valuable thing that we have as, as collegiate athletes. I love it, and I love the story. I love how we're getting into what drove you as a coach and is continuing to push that envelope forward. So let's take a step back because – going down there to, to work with John. Um, obviously, that started around CrossFit football. So mm-hmm. let's talk about how CrossFit football um, has built Tex and has built what Tex is teaching and how he's moving forward and what he's looking not just at but for um, when he's working with athletes and, and helping coaches. Great, great question. It, it, it's CrossFit football started in 2009 – so Glassman approached John to start a sports performance kind of branch and avenue of CrossFit, which is kind of a fitness approach, general physical preparedness. But there was no sports specific preparation aspect of things. So that's where John got into CrossFit football and he took the pre- preparation and performance aspect that he had and he applied the vernacular of CrossFit. So sets, rounds and reps. So as what we're familiar with normal kind of CrossFit workouts, he just took that language and applied it to his former training. So it was back in 2009, you started to see strength workouts of the day. So do your squats, do your deadlifts, and then you do some metabolic conditioning. So John introduced that to CrossFit and we see that as just the way now. It's kind of cool. So at 
the CrossFit football seminar, what we would teach, it was a, I guess, introduced the said principle to a lot of CrossFit coaches. So they didn't have this. It was right. This, this randomized pick. Oh, I feel like doing this today. We'll, we'll do a hopper, right? We'll pick a bunch of random movements and some random sets and turn that into fitness. Sure. Awesome. General physical prepare preparation. Go for it, man. Lose some weight. Cool. But if we're talking about preparing for basketball, preparing for lacrosse, preparing for football, well, we know the demands of those sports, right? It's not constantly varying distances and domains, right? We know how long a basketball court is. We know how wide it is. So we're going to train within the that domain. So we know the football quarter lasts 15 minutes, average play, seven seconds. And as an offense, I'm going to aim to run 20 plays in a row. Then I'm going to have a pretty successful run. So let's prepare for that energy demand. So we know the space, we know the energy systems that we're going to have to tap into. So it isn't randomized. Sport isn't randomized. So we're focused on, I guess, conditioning and building the demands of that sport and introduce these concepts to fitness coaches. And it, some, some light bulbs went off, some didn't, unfortunately. But, um, and we were one of the only systems that was teaching how to teach kids and coaches for straight ahead speed and change a direction. So if we saw runs or sprints in the CrossFit workouts, Right. It was 400 meters. It was 200 meters. And they were viewed as the resting opportunity between the kettlebell swings and the deadlifts and all that. Well, we wanted to take sprinting back. What do we know about speed? Speed it kills. It is the one equalizer in sport for the smaller athletes, the <clears throat> like the five, five guys like me to compete with the stronger, faster athletes, excuse me, the stronger, bigger athletes on the team. If I'm faster, I have the opportunity, and we see countless examples of this at the college level and the professional level, no matter the sport. You don't have to be big, strong, and, and appear to be that uh, stereotypical sport athlete if you're faster. They're going to find a spot for you on the field. So we were teaching a systematic approach to develop straight-ahead speed and change of direction. So that was the, the cross-football seminar in a nutshell is how to design workouts for specific energy demands of the sport, how to then look at a sport and say, all right, well, we need hypertrophy. We're going to have to put on some strength and size for these individuals. So reverse engineer a strength program, specific adaptation to impose demands, and then teach speed, teach change of direction, and put people in the best position we can for a two-day course to then, if an athlete walks through their door, they're ready. Two days, it, it's like drinking from a fire hose. We um, we switched to more online education now where it's digestible at your own pace. But um, I guess for that football seminar, it was a great, great opportunity to meet, to to see the world and see where people were, were missing, right? Just because we were checking boxes and delivering the specific information, where was the disconnect for coaches? And uh, I would take that back. I was, uh, I was coaching at Georgetown University and then traveling on weekends right when I started teaching with John on the cross football. So it'd be great to take that back to the Georgetown, co Georgetown coaches and try to make these connections to what they were looking for and what their sport coaches were looking for. And that was, um, 
that's where I learned a lot about the sport coach and strength coach relationship. Uh, I, I got, I lost a team by not having good communication with the sport coach. So that was a lesson I learned back then. So it was a, a lot of good times just, uh, I guess, working with the, the CrossFit community, but then coming back during the week and working with the collegiate strength and coach community and uh, finding the, the connections, the disconnections between both and really, I guess, finding that, that coaching voice to be able to speak to sport coaches, strength coaches, CrossFit coaches, gym owners, everybody. But we're talking about movement and teaching. It's just uh, how you label it versus, you know, that's where people differ. But we're all teaching movement. We're all teaching strength. We're all teaching speed. It's There's connections there. It was, uh, it was an interesting learning experience back in the, the first days of CrossFit football. I can only imagine because really that the term in and of itself, CrossFit is so polarizing. So then mm-hmm. when you now are talking about bringing that into the team sport environment, I guess my next question would, would be simply this. How did, like, where do you see those disconnects on both ends? So in the CrossFit box gyms, where did you see the disconnect to the actual this is going to sound wrong, but like the actual organization and the, and you know, as you were calling it, the reverse engineering versus, mm-hmm. you know, the, the typical programming model. And where did you see then the disconnect when it comes to people already training athletes and looking at it as, well, this is CrossFit. Mm-hmm. So with the, from the CrossFit gym's perspective, imagine it's an eight minute workout. So it's how much work can we do within eight minutes? But on the sports side of thing, it doesn't really matter how much work you can do at eight minutes, right? I got one job. How fast can I do that job? How well can I do that job? How accurate can I do that job? And then repeat it. So where a fitness is like an economy of movement and just not a lot of energy expenditure and doing that over and over again, sport is the replication of speed, the replication of accuracy. So it's, that's the, the biggest difference. So we do in, in the, the collegiate strength and conditioning field and sports performance field, we have general physical preparedness, but it's just a piece that we have. So without being in good shape, I can't do the intensity sprints. I can't do as many as I would need to, to get faster. Well, at the same time, we need those intensity sprints with our, our fitness community, just preparing for that one moment, that one day that they may have to call upon it in, in life or in rec league sports if they want to go play some ball on the weekends. So it's both would need some aspects of each other. But again, if my goal is just to lose weight, fitness is a good opportunity, but so is training like an athlete. But if I'm an athlete, and I'm a strength coach, and I have a specific task that I need to prepare for, I can't generally do it. I need to tr- prepare for that specific task. If my There's also thing we need to take into consideration with athletes that we refer to as limiting factors, right? We can be fast, we can be strong, we can do a lot of things, but it's oftentimes in sport, it's what we can't do that's going to cost us a game, a match, a tournament. So within sports, we have to work on these limitations and shore them up so that way they're prepared in case a, a you know really good scattering report comes out 
well, we trained all off season. We can be prepared to turn that into a strength eventually over time. Well, with fitness, it doesn't freaking matter. We're just we're losing weight. We're getting you know better emotionally, socially, quality of life's improving. But at the same time, it's not going to cost our livelihood. Does not rely on our performance like it does a a collegiate or professional athlete. Uh, no, that's fantastic. And now you're talking about limiting factors in there. Now I know that there there initially I don't know if he still had it has it now, but like Glassman had like those like like boxes that you would want to check for like different levels of achievement in in CrossFit. Are there similar? Are there any sort of like boxes you guys would check with the football community in order to determine these limiting factors or to be like we need to go to X or was this more just reverse engineered based on the the sight and sound and feel of the coach? That that's a great question. I can't I can't speak to what uh, I've been removed from the I guess the the CrossFit world for a little bit. But um, in terms of good assessment tools and the things that a coach can do, so we introduce a, a a theme of posture and position. So this is where I guess I really connected with with John in that posture and position. Right, if we lose our 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 back during the heavy ass deadlift. Sure, we can get it up at the same time. The ability for that that big lift to transfer to our sport decreases greatly. If our our we get some valgus knees on our squats, while we may technically score that lift or count it as a rep, we are really putting our athlete in a position to ingrain that movement pattern under the maximum amount of stress that we can create in a training environment, the weight room. So with the loss of posture and position, if we lose it in the lift, we know that we're going to lose it during game day. So we are, despite the hype and the, the push and the punch that we can do as coaches to get our athletes to, you know, get hyped up for their one RMs or three RM attempts, it's never going to equal that hype of game day. So if I see our athletes at maximal lows, at rep maxes, training maxes, losing their good back position, their good knee position, their good body position, good posture, then I know when the stress is greater on game day, they're going to lose the posture, lose the position, just like they did in their training maxes. So we start to really ingrain this idea of posture and position. So it starts with our, our warm-up movements, and we view our warm-up, we hide assessments we within our warm-up every single day so it's not just a you know get your heart rate up get your chili hot break a sweat during our warm-up now we're doing pillars we're doing planks we're doing one of our favorite movements a dead bug where we lay flat on the ground press the back of our neck into the ground represents a good kind of deadlift back starting position then we have our legs straight bringing our dorsiflexion, so bring your shoelaces towards your knees, drive your heels towards the sky, and hold this position. So I can see, all right, we're at 60 seconds. If an athlete's chin starts to lift it up off the ground, well, I know they're going to lose that position, that head position, that posture, in a heavy deadlift. And I know if they're going to lose it in a heavy deadlift, they're going to lose it on the field. Same with our dorsiflexion position. So if they start to get relaxed in their dorsiflex at their ankle. Well, I know during 
the third quarter or we're doing some conditioning, some longer, some longer uh, sprints, then they're going to lose that dorsiflexion, which in change of direction and acceleration, that's going to cost them. You know, maybe it's a millisecond, but it's still going to cost them. So I'm seeing this in our warm up. And I, if I see it in our warm up positions, I know it's going to show up during our higher stress and training. It shows up in the higher stress and training. It's going to show up on game day. So I'm coaching them as hard as I should on our, our workout, our, our weightlifting in the warm-up. But then come game day, I'm not coaching anymore. We set them free, and that's where we're taking our mental notes as a coach or taking physical notes, writing it down on our, our sideline notebook. All right, you know, player X lost this position in the third quarter. He started to show fatigue. He, he d- ducked his head or lifted his chin up during his tackles. Well, it may be a loss of position on a deadlift, but in a contact sport, that could be, you know, a very costly injury. So I'm just coaching that up in that warm up and trying to see how that uh, moves up and down throughout the training. And then the game day, the test is not only, you know, wins and losses with succeeding in your individual battles throughout the, the competition, but also even if you won or lost a battle, I'm taking posture and position notes to make sure, okay, when we come back to training, we're going to talk about it. And that warm up, it's a great coaching opportunity, right? There's not the stress of the weight. It's not the stress of the, the practice coach, the game day coach kind of yell at them. No, their barriers are down. They're probably more coachable and apt to listen to you. Maybe you can throw some jokes in there to keep it light. But it, it should be that same theme of posture and position, whether we're talking about game day practice, our, our weightlifting or sprints, or just getting in the right posture to then challenge throughout training. No, that's sensational because I think that, you know, the one thing that keeps coming back more and more is, is this idea of, you know, the warm up being your monitoring and your warm up being your dictator as you move forward. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I, I do like it as a, a daily assessment for a program, right? We want to listen to our calves. We want to listen to our hamstrings. So the dead bugs, if I, I know my athletes, I see them every day, and they have a good dorsiflexion position, but all of a sudden maybe there's an imbalance between right or left, one calf is a little tight, then I need to either monitor that athlete or give them some extra, some extra movement before we do our jumps, but just uh, I want to avoid, like I made that mistake as a, a rookie coach, avoid any injury in training. So that warm up is when, yes, we're getting a lot of the feel. We're also looking at the little changes that may pop up because we spend so much time with our, our teams. We we know them as as young men and young women. but We also know their their positions. So it, it, if you look for it and start to to see these things every single day, you'll know when something's off, like like you just mentioned. So it's a, a great opportunity that I don't want coaches to to sleep on. No, definitely, especially now when you're sitting there and you're able to now move forward and assess that and, and make these on the fly on the yeah on the fly alterations. I mean, it's it really is the ultimate form of individualization when it comes to the training program. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a huge principle in training. Although our athletes, they're for the most part running the same team program, same same team training. 
we as a coach get to apply those individual things, whether it's, you know, adding more of the weight that day, taking weight that, that day, or adding in extra movements between the squats to help them improve their limiting factors or what we see got going on that day. No, and I love that because especially when you're looking at, you know, I mean, like me being involved in basketball, when I had a group today where there's a five, six, maybe, uh, <laughs> point guard and a six foot 11 power forward sitting there warming up next to each other. It's like, how in the world are these two going to train the same? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. breaking it down that way. Yeah, for, for that, I guess our perspective of power athlete is movement. We are teaching movement and the, I guess how we look at movement is the action of the hips. So if imagine got a little model here, so we got a little star Wars Buddha, but as I hinge, imagine Buddha's my hips here and I'm moving forward. These are like our squats, our deadlifts, our power cleans. These are all technically hip hinges. So whether we're five, six or six, six, we're going to hinge in our individual range of motion will be termed on our anthropometrical ratios, but both guys are hinging or girls. So then we have Buddha here trying to center on the camera. He's going to rotate left and right. This is going to be the action of the hips when we step forward for a lunge. So our hips don't hinge. They're going to rotate on a Y axis. So that's going to be our lunge. And then we have our step up. So imagine an axis of rotation going straight through Buddha here on the center. And he's going to tilt left or right. So if this is my hip girdle, I got an axis of rotation going through my belt buckle. And then it's going to my iliac crest will tilt left and right. So those are the three actions from our perspective of our hips. An X, Y, and a Z axis of rotation. So when it comes to building a program... We're going to focus on the X. We're going to focus on the Y. We're going to focus on the Z. X is a lot of bilateral stuff, and it's where we can really bias, overload, and drive some structural adaptations. But we also know we spend a hell of a lot more time in sport in our Y axis of rotation and our Z, right, the unilateral movements. So we're going to have X, Y, and Z as pieces of our training, especially with our strength. But then we have to give the athletes the opportunity to combine X, Y, and Z. So a squat to step to lunge, lunge, high knee lunge. Think of a high knee lunge like I'm, I'm lunging into a step up because that is that's sport. That's movement through space. That's athleticism. So instead of just biasing X, because we know we can lift a lot of heavy weights. We know we can drive a lot of structural adaptation in that X. We can't neglect the Y. So we want to really push people to, to, to lunge, to step up. That's another thing. If we go back to the, uh, the fitness community, they neglect the lunge big time. They neglect the step up. And I'll tell you this. I will take a hard stance on the step up. You can fuck it up. So the best step up position, if we do like a sprint wall drill or if we do a, a, a prowler push, we're going to get a good step up range of motion. When you step up onto a 24-inch box as a 5'6 basketball player athlete, you're getting into a poor hip position. That's going to ruin. That's going to mess up your hip position, your back. You lost your posture, so it's not going to transfer to your sprints. So you may be exercising, but it's not training for performance. 
So I'm seeing a lot of videos on Instagram of these 24 inch step ups. No, just because you're you're going higher, it's not like a jump. Doesn't mean it's better. Step up onto a 10 inch box, a 12 inch box. We want to keep your knee below your hip crease, like a good sprint mechanic position. And that's where we want to then put the barbell on your back or put the weight in your hands, however you want to play it. But that's that goes back to our posture and position talk. Uh, I want to exercise for exercise sake. I want to train with a purpose so it can transfer to the field. Otherwise, right, it has no place in our program. There's not enough opportunity to, you know, especially in season, sport coaches get they want more time. So we got to make the most. So by exercising now, we're losing opportunity to train and prepare our athletes. So it's uh, I'm seeing that going along around a lot. I don't like it. It's, and I don't like the lunge where uh, you got to do it for points. So your knees got to touch the ground. Well, that six six kid you got, no, his knee's not going to touch the ground. He's going to go as low in his lunge as he can maintain a straight line from his bottom knee to the top of his head. So I guess I, we go back to differences between performance and fitness. Again, fitness, they want uh, they want markers for points so they can score it. In performance training, we move through the athlete's range of motion that they need for their sport. And we don't really spend a lot of time outside of that. They don't have to get more mobile if they can hit every position that they need. So that's, I suppose, another another stake in the ground there between the differences differences between the two. I love that. I love that because it's all too often I think that does get lost. And I do think people I mean it's I think people talk about that a lot. Like the fact that it's like, oh well, you know, dynamic correspondence or this or that and it's like, but you still got them doing all this crazy stuff that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um I think I you, you brought up Instagram so I'm going to be a jerk if I don't bring up any of this stuff because you guys have got some pretty crazy stuff going on. Selfishly, whose idea mm-hmm. was Be the Hammer? Be be the Hammer. So this is John's motto, right? You can either be the hammer or you can be the nail. So this goes back to his playing days and the, the mentality, the mindset before every single play of that other guy is going to be the nail. Did that work out every single time? I'm sure there's some battles that he was not successful, but in in that world, you got to go in with one mindset, and you know it's it's slay everything, it's be the hammer, and another another great well-worn quote. I don't want to butcher this, but he's like, show me somebody that likes losing, and I'll show you a loser. So it's as much of a mindset as it is just in, in training. So, yeah, some days you're going to walk into the squat rack and you're going to fucking lose. But if you think you're going to lose before you pick up that weight, yeah, you've already lost. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's an approach. And, uh, yeah, we, we got a, a buddy that's a coach for a women's lacrosse team. And so he brought the Be the Hammer into their weight room. And so the girls took it to the field. And there's this clip during uh, one of the playoff games of this girl just – in women's lacrosse, you're not supposed to have contact, but this girl is bringing the hammer down. And uh, so it was a mindset that he brought into his weight room and the girls took it to the field, whether it was legal or not, you know, they, they were in it to win it. So it's, uh, it's got some legs and I, I, I'm all for it. I want you to, yeah. And 
you know, the, the weight room is a great opportunity for young men and women to, to learn something about themselves, right? The Henry Rollins, the, the iron never lies. 225 is always going to be 225. So it, it teaches you a lot of lessons. It's a great opportunity, um, you know, especially today's day and age to build some high quality self-esteem. You know, even if you do fear it, maybe going in, I'm sure you've had those athletes that, that fear the jump, fear the the weight, fear the opportunity, but then they surprise themselves. That does something for them, man, and it's um, it goes a long way, especially for those high school kids in training. They they go into the fear of that big tire, the sandbag, the the squats, the five RM, and then they surprise themselves. And you know, it, it it's something that it does not lie. So it's a, it's a quality thing, man. And be the hammer is just one of those quips that you can get behind and it's a freaking dope daily instagram post if you guys yeah. don't have that on your on your queue like it's just somebody getting lit up every yeah. day any sport rugby football uh, oh, even that, some that lacrosse chick laying that guy out at the the boxing bag from a couple yes. of days ago i was that, dying <laughs> yeah that drop that dropped today or yesterday and I, I watched that a few times it's pretty epic oh yeah um so listen I got one for you from Mike. You know, we, we got Michael Hill throwing one question out here. And, of course, oh, nice. the only way that the license to Hill himself could, could interject, what's your favorite 80s movie? Oh, easy. Big Trouble in Little China. Easy. Huge Kurt Russell fan. I got, um, at the moment, rocking a mullet. He's, uh, he's my hair model right now. So just I'm in a, a uh, Big Trouble in Little China kick. So easy. That's awesome, man. So listen, let me get you out on this. You guys do some charity work down there too. Mm -hmm. And there's something that you guys have been working with for a while. And I want to make sure that people, we get an opportunity to talk about that and share that to our listeners too, because this is something that you guys are doing that's pretty big time. So it is Wade's army. So Wade was a a two-year-old little boy that lost his life to a childhood cancer called neuroblastoma. So there's only 18 treatment facilities for neuroblastoma in the United States. So what that means, if my family's in Austin and God forbid, I don't have any kids, but say a child came down with neuroblastoma, I would have to move my family to Houston just so they can get treatment. So not a lot of treatment facilities available. So family's got a uproot their families just to get treatment for their their children so what we do at wade's army we we sell t-shirts every single year we fundraise a bunch of money and through the t-shirts it's a two-parter one we raise money and two it spreads awareness and that's it's a bullshit word thrown around in in cancer but I'll, i'll i'll justify it people see the shirts they ask about wade's army and they say oh it's this charity neuroblastoma and they're like oh my my cousin's kid had neuroblastoma or this friend in our community, their child neuroblastoma. So whether it happens in that instant or months down the road, because of the shirt, people are starting to know this cancer's name and then they connect us with the families. So we've helped over 20 families all through organic connections through the t-shirt and all in the name of a little boy that last lost his life, Wade De Bruin. So check us out, wadesarmy.org or Instagram at wadesarmy. 
and uh, a noble cause. And John saw a lot of bullshit with charities in the NFL. So he oversees everything and makes sure that every dollar that isn't purchasing the, the shirt materials or shipping uh, that goes to the families that need it. So it's uh, paying for gas. It's we, we bought a family a minivan that had to move from Alaska to Memphis. Uh, it's even a, a family who's fortunate insurance covered their treatment. So what we did was buy a, a trip to Disneyland so that they could just spend one one weekend not worrying about the stress of the cancer and life and bills and all that. So it's directly going to the families and it's all just from a, a little t-shirt drive. That's awesome. We're making sure all that stuff's tagged underneath. Guys, tap the link. Make sure you're not only getting the shirt, but rocking it everywhere and letting people know how they can get involved because this is this is awesome. Can't thank mm-hmm. you enough for your time today, man. This is a fantastic episode. Thank you so much. Yeah, I want to plug some speaking gigs we got coming up. So first in December 7th, 8th, and 9th in Austin, Texas, we're having our annual Power Athlete Symposium. Uh, number two in January January 11th up in Indianapolis, I'll be speaking at the NSEA Coaches Clinic. And then January 12th in Austin, Texas, John will be speaking at the University of Texas Athletic Performance Clinic. So uh, three live opportunities to hear some speak, kick back, and I'll be hanging out at the coaches conference early and then flying down to meet John in Austin to see his presentation. So a lot going on, man. We're having fun and it's at Power Athlete HQ, powerathletehq.com. And we're, uh, we're just connecting with coaches and teaching and having great conversations, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. Make sure y'all check those out. Thank you so much for being on again, man. We'll be in touch real soon, brother. Thanks a lot, Jay. Yeah, man. Cheers. And a huge thanks to Tex McQuilkin for spending the time with us today. Guys, open, honest, candid sharing. Can't thank Tex enough, not just for taking the time to be with us today, but all the sensational information that they are passing on down there in Austin with Power Athlete. Um, And guys, seriously, make sure you head over to wadesarmy.org. Get a shirt. Get involved. Help them out because this is absolutely a sensational this is absolutely a sensational cause to get behind. Help texting the guys out. Make sure that you're doing your part. Get one of those t-shirts and rock it. Make sure people are seeing it to spread the word and, and help this awesome cause. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Again, we're just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.